May the Lord bless you all on this day. May the Lord be with us as always and as usual when we meet and we all gather together. The thousands, the couple of thousands that we have, the people who, of course, have made the decision in their heart to follow the sermon and reading the scriptures, the Bible. And I know that all of that, that people are doing, their effort, it is not in vain because God will always be repaying everyone according to the desire of that person's heart that they want to offer their heart to God, in that same manner, God will pay them back. So our works should be good works. And in our heart, there should be this desire to learn, a desire to pay attention to the teaching and to learn and to read the Bible as well and asking the Lord that He guide us, teach us, enlighten us so that we are able to understand and to do God's will, to please God in everything. We live many different situations in life. The brother's prayer listed out all of the problems and the difficulties the world faces, the different nations face. We know that the enemy, the devil, is the one who generates all of these conflicts and disturbances, all of these misunderstandings and hatred and grudges and envy and desire for power. The devil is the one that works doing all of this, these evil things. And so we hear, when we follow the Lord, when we read the Bible, we find the true reason the motive, we find the root of the problem. And this is why problems, they are fought at the root, not by the branches. And this is why we are here fighting, crying out to the Lord and asking Him to have mercy of all of you, and especially the newcomers. Those who maybe for the first time are just joining our teaching, and that God May he be with all so that we all may come to one understanding and to comprehend and be one, be one in the Lord, understanding and comprehending and also considering the things that happen and the situations that occur without having to judge anyone in particular. Because if we're going to judge someone, well, let's, let, let's judge the enemy. Let's judge our enemy. He is the one who is guilty of all the violence and of all the evil things. And when we know the enemy and his work, well, then we pray and we ask the Lord to help us, that God may help and stretch out his hand so that all of these things may pass, all of these conflicts, all of these disturbances. For example, what Colombia is living, it's the devil that is furious furious against Colombia. Why? Because in Colombia, this is where the church was born, the church where God began to manifest himself and has been manifesting himself for over 50 years. This is why the enemy is envious of Colombia. The enemy, this is why he even stirs up other nations against Colombia, because that's what the enemy does. And so, he comes in his fury. And so this is why all the brothers and sisters who have known God's word and they are from that country, well, what we must do is pray and ask the Lord that God have mercy and that God may remove all of the evil things that are happening. 
And we should not blame people, not, not blame anyone, because no one is at fault. Human beings are incapable of resolving and fixing the world. It is only God, the only one who does things, giving the wisdom and understanding and strategies to perhaps a ruler or leader. And so the brothers and sisters do not fall into the ignorance and the sin of blaming someone and saying, okay, well, it's this person, so we need to rise against this person to destroy them and remove them because they are the reason for all of the problems. No, brothers and sisters, because God is watching and God is anchored when he sees his children, his followers, or those who are called by God, when they are not doing things right, when they are following bad steps and doing things that they shouldn't because everyone says and set or speculations of certain things, then God removes the blessings. God takes away the blessing. And the day that you are suffering and you are crying out to the Lord, well, then the Lord will not hear you because you haven't done things right. Because rather than praying and asking the Lord for people and for everyone, what you did instead was you followed after somebody without knowing if it was true or not. And again, no human being can resolve a problem. No one can resolve the problems of others. Only God, only He with His power. And so all of our prayers, we know that in over 60 countries, God has had mercy. And there have been some groups, some places, they have had well, we can say the privilege that they have heard the word of our God, that God has manifested himself in the lives of these people, and they have had experiences with God. And so, in all the world, we ought to pray to God. We have this duty to pray and ask God for everyone, for all nations, because I love those nations. Wherever the church is not there, well, I still love them because I'm sure one day God will give them the opportunity for his word to also reach those places. Wherever the, the word of God arrives, God will bless that place. That place is privileged because God has had mercy and he wants his word to reach the hearts of many, whoever they are, whatever nation it is, whatever country. And so we, we cannot make any exceptions of people or be partial. And now I do mention Colombia because there are a lot of bad things happening there at the moment. And people don't know what they're doing. People are ignorant. And out of ignorance, they act. And so I invite you to rather reflect, think of God, think of your families, of your life. And God will resolve the problems. He can because he has power and God is powerful. So the glory be for our God. And now we're going to change. We're going to reflect. We're going to remove some of those ideas we have, those grudges that we have. And rather, let us devote ourselves to the Lord so that he may help us to resolve all things because everything is in God's hands. He will provide. So the honor and the glory be for our God. Today, before we begin our sermon today, I please uh, ask you to forgive me because the chapter that we're going to read today in Romans is a bit long, so maybe I'll take an extra 10 minutes and I please ask you to forgive me in advance. And well, we've been doing things this way because of the pandemic, but once things go back to normal, the temples will open. Every preacher will have their 30-minute sermon in every church, so there will be no problems anymore. But we are doing this so far because we want on Sunday to devote an hour and a half, perhaps, to think of God 
to reflect on the Bible, which is beautiful to reflect upon. And first we're going to sing to the Lord. We're going to sing a hymn, Hymn 199. I know that here in the United States, all of the temples today are now, con people are congregating, the brothers and sisters are congregating in the temple, watching the sermon all together in each temple. Now I hope that the Lord also gives an opportunity to the rest of the country so that the church also may be reopened. Now hymn 199 titled In the Heavenly Pastor's Fair. It is a hymn that I believe was probably extracted from Psalm 33. So we're going to sing to the Lord with all of our heart. In the heavenly pastures fair, neath the tender shepherd's care, let us rest beside the living stream today. Calmly there in peace recline, drinking in the truth divine. At his loving call we now with joy obey. Glorious stream of life eternal, beauteous fields of living green. Thou revealed within the word of our shepherd and our Lord, by the pure in heart alone can they be seen. Far from all the noise and strife that disturb our daily life, let us pause a while in silence and adore. Then the sound of his dear voice will our waiting souls rejoice as he nameth us his own forevermore. Glorious stream of life eternal, beauteous fields of living green. Thou revealed within the word of our shepherd and our Lord, by the pure in heart alone can they be seen. Oh, how good and true and kind, seeking his stray sheep to find, if they wander into danger from his side. Ever closely may we tread where his holy feet have led, so at last with him in heaven we may abide. Glorious stream of life eternal, beauteous fields of living green. Thou revealed within the word of our shepherd and our Lord, by the pure in heart alone can they be seen. The honor and the glory before our God, and we thank the Lord because we are here and we are longing for all the brothers and sisters, all those who listen to the sermon. For them to learn, comprehend, understand. And people write to me and they ask. And they say, well, what happened to the church after the apostles? After the primitive early church that is spoken of in Acts of the Apostles? What happened after? What happened to the church?
because they hear us mention that it's been over 50 years that I have known the Word of God and I live experiences with the Lord. And this church, the Church of God Ministry of Jesus Christ International, was born, and so people ask and say, well, from the time before then, what happened? Now, I know many things happened, and I'm sure maybe one day there will be some time to give you my opinion. Not because there are scriptures, because maybe there isn't any sort of story following that, but we can imagine everything that could have happened. And that those thoughts, the, ima the ima imagination of that, come from the experiences we have lived with God and everything God has spoken to us and taught us. And of all of the different illustrations and examples in daily life with the believers and with the people in, in the Bible, we have come to many conclusions. And we have come to understand and comprehend what happened after after the apostles, what happened with the church. But now that does take some time to go over, so I'm going to leave that for another time to maybe go over it and talk about it later when I have maybe a group of brothers and sisters to maybe also give their own opinion and to share their experiences that they have lived with the Lord. And there are many who also like to research so many different things. So all of that we will listen to and we will be speaking and we will make known to you all, all of these opinions and maybe perhaps offer many answers to your questions and inquiries concerning what happened. But for now, for now we live the present. We live the experiences, the real experiences with the Lord. And what can happen in the future? Well, we can't talk about that. Only that while we live, we do the works to serve God and we aim to please the Lord in all things. We make an effort, an effort to bear good fruits before the Lord's presence. And so today, we are going to begin here in Romans chapter 11. The Apostle Paul, he took his time to talk and explain the law of Moses and the people of Israel in antiquity, the Jews in antiquity, and he giving an explanation. And we today, according to everything that we have lived with the Lord and with the Holy Spirit, well, we too, we can confirm, we can confirm that what the Apostle taught was a reality. And it has been a reality in our lives as well. And it will continue to be a reality in the future. And here in chapter 11, now I hope there are some people who have asked and they say, why is it that we are not keeping the Sabbath day? Why aren't we celebrating the Feast of the Pentecost? Or why aren't we doing this or that? 
Now, as the answer to that is also very long and extensive, it will take me some time to give an answer to the people who are writing to me. Now, I don't know why they're writing. I don't know if these are people who are newcomers, uh, who are new to the church, or maybe, because I think it, it is a bit strange if it was a brother or sister who has been in the congregation for a long time, if, it would be strange for them not to understand the doctrine and not to have understood that the Sabbath in antiquity had a symbolic representation for the future and that that representation, that symbolic representation, was Jesus Christ. The Sabbath of antiquity, that rest, for people in the future, it is Jesus Christ. Today, we are resting. Today, we are enjoying that Sabbath. But now, it is in the spiritual sense. It is Jesus Christ. He is our rest. He is our Sabbath. So we are resting all of the time in the Lord. He is our Sabbath, our day of rest. Therefore, the physical day that existed today is no longer valid. No valid. It's no longer valid for anyone. Whoever wants to work can work, and whoever doesn't, well, doesn't. And if you want to work on Monday, work. And if you don't want to work on Monday, but you want to rest on Monday, then you can do that as well, because your body does need to rest, and any day is perfect to rest. We perhaps follow along with a calendar, the Roman calendar that has been set, and the Romans made up and said the sun, a Sunday was a day for people people to rest, for factories and businesses to close and for people to rest one day, and they chose Sunday. They could have picked Monday, but that's not really important. So we're not going to change all of these physical material things that are not really worth it. There's something far more important in our life that is worth it, which is to live uprightly, to live in holiness with the Lord, to be sincere and to not hurt or harm our neighbor, not to hurt anyone, and not to be full of grudges or envious or, or take away things from others. That is important, not the days. The days have no importance, the physical days. And so, this too will also take me some time to explain to people that question that people are asking, why aren't we fulfilling these days? Because Jesus Christ said not a single tittle or anything could be overlooked because it all had to be fulfilled or else it would all be broken. But you know what? He did say that, but he himself fulfilled all of it. He fulfilled every single tittle period, every single comma of the law. He fulfilled it. Why? To then abolish it, make it null on the cross of Calvary. And this is maybe what perhaps some of you have not paid attention to, because I have been teaching this entire time of the pandemic. We have been discussing and teaching all of these matters of the law of Moses and of the requirements and why today we no longer practice these things, because today it is Jesus Christ. It is God in the heart of a human being. Today, it is God in spirit. No longer is there even a physical temple in the world where you say, well, there is where you go to worship God, because no, it is said it is in the heart of a man or woman who does God's will and pleases him. That is the temple of God. And for you to better understand, well, I think it would take me a long time to be able to explain because I have to support it with verses in the Bible. So we'll leave that for another day. And I'm sorry, I took maybe a little bit longer than usual to begin here we're going to open in Romans chapter 11 here the apostle Paul discusses 
the remnant. He talks about a remnant. Now, not too long ago, last year, I gave a sermon concerning the remnant. We, we said that the remnant, the chosen remnant, it was a group of people who God elected among the people of Israel or among the Jews, however we want to call it, because it was called the, the Jews, those who lived or in Judea, but then in the end, it all became, or it turned into a religion. And so rather we're speaking of the religious side here of the, of the law of Moses. God, in antiquity, spoke through his prophets that he had chosen a remnant to save and that through that remnant, the Messiah would come. And that after this remnant, the Lord is when he destroyed Jerusalem. He allowed Jerusalem to be destroyed by the empire or the Babylon Empire, King Nebuchadnezzar, but there was a remnant that remained. This remnant was actually led captive to Babylon. Now, a group of people chosen by God so that his word, his prophetic word that had been spoken many years before concerning the Messiah, and that Messiah would come through the seed of David. This is why the Lord protected his remnant, a group of people he chose, although they had not done God's will, but God out of mercy and out of the oath that he had made to Abraham, he had to fulfill, he had to forgive them and overlook their sin and keep them safe so that the Messiah could come in the future. That is the remnant. Out of this remnant, well, this is what we're going to talk about here in chapter 11 in Romans. This remnant, from this remnant, the Messiah came. Our Lord Jesus Christ came from this remnant. Now, the apostles who converted to the Lord, who were the first to convert and follow the Lord, well, they were a part also of that remnant. And so all of those Jews who in that time converted because it is said that the day that the Holy Spirit came, which was in the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and there was a group of 120 people gathered together in a place praying to God. And there were men and women, followers of the Lord, of so many followers that the Lord had before he died on the cross, only 120 remained gathered in an upper chamber to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. But there was 120. Those 120 were a part of the remnant. That was the remnant that the Lord had chosen and elected. And so now you know what the remnant is. Now, the Apostle Paul says, 11 verse 1, I say then, has God cast away his people, meaning his people of Israel? The Apostle says, certainly not. He has not cast them away. For the apostle also says, For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin, is what the apostle Paul said. Verse 2, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Yes, he foreknew them through the, ha the, the hand of Moses. When the Lord spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he knew his people Israel. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. This was spoken by the prophet Elijah when he hid in a cave, and he wanted to die. 
He went to this cave and he said, I will die here of hunger and thirst and that will be it. And he said to the Lord, only I alone remain and they seek to take my life. Who? Well, the same people of Israel. The same people of his own people, his brethren, because they did not want to heed his words and his prophecy. So they seek me now to take my life. And God gave a wise answer to Elijah. And he tells him in verse 4, but what does the divine response say to him? This is what the, this was the answer from God. He says, I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal or to idols. They have not bowed the knee to Baal, which was a god, a god that they had in that time among the different nations and the Israelites were worshiping him and praising this idol. But God said to Elijah, not all. There are 7,000 men. You don't know who they are. They have not worshipped this idol. And so the Apostle Paul says, even as it happened in that time when the Lord said to Elijah that he had reserved a group of people that he had kept them away from being idolaters or not to have bowed down before Baal. Even so, in this time, Paul, the Apostle Paul says, at this present time, what present time? Well, the present time of the gospel. It was the time of the preaching of the good tidings of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the present time. And so the Apostle Paul says, even so then, at this present time, this time in which we're preaching Jesus Christ as the Savior, that we must be saved through faith, the faith of the father Abraham. And having faith in Jesus Christ, believing he is God, he is the Messiah that was sent by the Father. That is this present time. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant, a chosen remnant according to the election of grace. So at this present time, God has also reserved a remnant of the people of Israel who will be saved by grace, by faith the divine grace and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ by the faith that Abraham had. Now in verse 6, the apostle says, and if by grace, which is the grace of God, it is that free salvation, then it is no longer of works. Now, what did people, the works that they were saved by, that's when they were fulfilling the law of Moses. And the Lord told Moses and said, everyone who fulfills the law would have eternal life. But that was not the case. No one fulfilled the works. We've said this many times. Now, as you see, I repeat so much. I repeat and I say it again and I teach the same things, but yet, look at the questions I'm asked. They ask me these things. I kind of feel like crying sometimes. I say, oh Lord, am I wasting my time? I'm talking, I'm teaching, but people don't understand. This is so sad, but I need to continue. It's my duty. And so, brothers and sisters, it says here, that this remnant, this chosen remnant that the Lord has reserved of the people of Israel physically will be saved by that divine grace, by that free salvation. And no longer will they be saved by the works of the law of Moses. No longer is it of works. Otherwise, grace, if they are saved by works, well, then grace is no longer grace. That grace of God, it would be then null and removed. 
So then we would say that people would then be saved by works, by the law of Moses, when truly no one was ever saved through the law, the law of Moses. So this is why here he says, but if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. So then he says, this is not possible. No one was saved through the works of the law of Moses. Today, no one will be saved through the works of the law of Moses, but it will be through divine grace, by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord, he also left a remnant. And it says, what then? Verse 7, Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Now, this verse is implying that among the people of Israel, even in that time, according to the Apostle Paul, he says that the elect of God or the remnant, they have obtained that divine grace. They have obtained salvation. And among them, they, the same disciples, counted themselves in that group because they were all also Israelites or they were Jews. And so, there was the remnant. There, that remnant began, and it was a group of people chosen for salvation through divine grace, not by the law of Moses. Now, the Apostle Paul, he counts himself in, in that group, and he says everyone else, the unbelieving, those who did not want to take part, they were hardened. God hardened their heart so that they would not believe. That is the sad part, and that is the reality. Now in verse 8, just as it is written, God has given the, those who are unbelieving, He's giving them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, so He gave them spiritual blindness, and ears that they should not hear, so He made them spiritually also uh, unable to hear, even to this day. That's what the Apostle Paul said. Even to this day, to this very day, their eyes are blind. They're blind and they're deaf. They cannot see nor hear of the glory of God and the manifestation of the Lord God's word. They do not want it because they were hardened. But there is a remnant. And then here he highlights some verses, prophetic verses, spoken by David in a psalm, Psalm 69:22, where it says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them, to those who are hard of heart, those who are unbelieving. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. So since they were hard of heart and stubborn, well, God made their hearts even harder. But do not forget, God allowed a remnant, a remnant that began with the apostles. Blessed is the name of the Lord, a remnant that began with those 120 that were gathered together in that upper chamber. And that day, they all received the Holy Spirit. And from there on out, well, there were many, many who have converted to the Lord. There have been many, and there will be more. There are a lot who have converted to the Lord because they are that remnant. Verse 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Those of Israel will certainly not. But through their fall, 
So, but through their fall, meaning their sin, to provoke them to just jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So, since they failed God, well, God also promised and said He was going to give salvation to the Gentiles, to the foreign nations. Now, this would then provoke them to jealousy. Verse 12, Now, if their fall or their transgression is riches for the world, and their failure, riches for the Gentiles, meaning that they were not able to fulfill. So then this law, it had a lot of flaws, and it failed. Well, this was used so that the Gentiles could be rich, because they did believe God, they have believed, and many seek the Lord, although not all. And so among those elected by the Lord, well, we have the remnant of Israel and we also have the Gentiles. All those who God has called and he will gather them together for his kingdom. And so it says that this, this remnant, when all of the remnant is converted to God, well, their fullness will be marvelous before the eyes of the world and especially before the eyes of the Lord. Now, in verse 13, For I speak to you, Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. So the work, the function God has bestowed upon him, he says he loves it. He is proud of the ministry that God allowed him to preach to the Gentiles, to those neighboring nations. He says, if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh, so he had, he was a Jew, he was an Israelite of origin, he says, if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them, so if I'm able to make those who are of my blood and allow them to become jealous, and with that jealousy some of them might be saved, well, that would be great. Verse 15, For if they're being cast away, so those who are hard of heart, those who are rebellious, who did not want to believe or accept the Savior, the Messiah, that if being cast away is then reconciling of the world, well, then what... How will it be when all of this remnant then converts to the Lord? How will their acceptance be? How will God receive them? Well, they will be welcomed. And so they will too be enjoying that life and they will resurrect and they will be renewed and their hearts will be changed, turned into a new and different heart. And so that will be a marvelous thing, is what the apostle said. He says, For if the first fruit, verse 16, for if the first fruit is holy, implying here that the first fruit was the people of Israel, they were the first fruit of a people that God had elected for himself, a people who he had said would be holy. So, for if the first fruit is holy, and that it is in reference to the people of Israel, the lump is also holy. And if the root, the root is holy, so are the branches. So, if the root 
which had been the people of Israel who God had given the promises to, who God had manifested himself to and given the commandments to. Well, with greater reason, if that was glorious and marvelous, and it was a great wonder, well, with greater reason, why wouldn't God also bless the branches? The branches, too, would be holy because they will be nourished by the root, the trunk, and so this promise that God made from the beginning to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they are that root. And he made that promise to them. And he said, in you, all of the nations will be blessed. And all the nations will come and pray, praise me, worship me. When God then changes Jacob's name, he says, you'll no longer be called Jacob, you'll be called Israel. But this Israel that the Lord was speaking to him about, he, in the future, was seeing that spiritual Israel which was the Savior, the Messiah, that he would send, that God would send. And so they were that root. They were holy because God had made a calling to these people. This here is what we call that root, that root being holy. And it says, so are the branches. And who are the branches? Well, all of us, all the believers, believers being Jews, Israelites, Gentiles, or of any nation, whoever converts to the Lord, they all will be the branches. We are the branches. So God, he is the tree, and the branches are all his followers followers, the believers. This is what the Lord did. What the Lord did from the very beginning to then join these people and then give an opportunity. He had his remnant that he had elected. He still has it. And some of that remnant, some of them have converted and there's still some that are waiting to convert. And those branches will be blessed, the people who convert people, the Gentiles, people of other nations. And so here in verse 17, the apostle says, and if some of the branches were broken off, so as it turns out, God is a tree. And God, with his promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that tree, that root, and the people, all of the branches, as they failed God, well, God was angered and he removed them. He broke off those branches and the tree was left bare without any branches. So it says, now, and if some of the branches were broken off, and you, he tells the Gentiles, you being a wild olive tree, you did not belong to that main tree. You were a wild olive tree. But then God had mercy of these Gentiles. And he grafted them. It says here, you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them. Grafted in among those, bro those branches that he had removed, meaning the Lord cast away the people of Israel. He removed them. He said, I'm now going to give an opportunity to the Gentiles. If they hear me and believe in me, well, then they too will be in my tree. They will also be branches. And the Lord grafted them. It says he grafted those branches that converted, those Gentiles who converted to the Lord. They were grafted onto that tree. 
But we're going to see what happens later on. So it says, were grafted in among them, he tells the Gentiles, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. So the apostle tells the Gentiles, well, you do not boast, do not be full of vain glory, and say, and, and go then and go against that remnant of Israel. Don't do that. Be very careful because you were grafted. And they, they being the natural olive tree, the Lord broke them off. He removed and destroyed them. But God has power to once again regraft onto that tree those who believe, those of the remnant, the rest of the remnant. And so this is why he tells the Gentiles, be very careful and you may look upon them with eyes of respect and mercy, of love and benevolence and kindness, not with any boasting. Do not boast because one day when God once again brings those branches he broke off, he brings them and regrafts them back onto the tree, those people who will convert, well, then you need to accept, and then all will be one tree. And so it says in verse 18, do not boast against the branches, those branches that were broken off. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root but the root supports you, meaning God supports you. And so if you do not do good works, if you do not do God's will, well then God also can break you off, remove you from that tree and throw you to the ground for you to be burned. And so be very careful. And he told the Gentiles, be very careful. Do God's works. Keep the Lord's commandments. And if you do not, after you have been grafted on, the Lord will then need to then break you off and remove you and then burn you. Be very careful. Be very careful with your spiritual life. Verse 19. You will say that branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. So to the Gentiles, they were grafted in. God accepted them as his people as well as his church. But those branches, those branches that had been broken off, what happened? Verse 20, well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you, Gentile, you Gentiles stand by faith because you believed in Jesus Christ. Do not be haughty. Do not be haughty or pretentious or arrogant. Be very careful. You must have that fear of God. Verse 21, for if God did not spare the natural branches, meaning he did not spare the Israelites who had sinned and offended him, he did not forgive them. He says he may not spare you either if you fail God. Verse 22, therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but toward you, goodness, Gentile. So God had mercy of the Gentiles. He adopted them. But God, too, he was severe with the Israelites who failed him and only a remnant remained. And so it says, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. So we must fulfill and do the works of God. 
fulfill the commandments of the Lord so that we may continue grafted on that beautiful tree which is our God to do good works. That is what here he was trying to give that in, an understanding to the people. He was trying to also make sure that there was brotherhood among the Jews and the Gentiles, uniting them all together in the Spirit of God. Verse 23, And they also, the Israelites, if they do not continue in unbelief, but one day hopefully believe in the Lord and accept the Messiah, well, then they will be grafted in once again. For God is able to graft them in again. Verse 24, For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, he is speaking here to the Gentiles, you were cut out, you belong to a wild olive tree, you were cut off, and then God grafted you in him. It says, And were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree. How much more will these, the remnant, how much more will these, the remnant who God has elected, who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Well, with greater reason, with more power, with more perfection. That is what the Lord, or the apostle here, was saying, that for the Lord there was nothing impossible, and that the Lord had had mercy. But here, the apostle is highlighting the remnant, that not all had been lost, not all will, will perish. Because, yes, there will be that remnant that from that time, from the time of the apostles, have converted to the Lord. And we do not know how many will convert. And so, these prophecies, this which God taught the apostle Paul, it needs to come to pass because all of this is God's word. It is speaking of the opportunity that God gives men and women in life. That opportunity, because in antiquity, God had said it was just an exclusive nation and everyone else had no right to have God. But the Lord... The Lord there on the cross of Calvary, our Lord Jesus Christ, performed that miracle, that great work. There he died for all, for Jews, for Israelites, for Gentiles. He died for all people, all nations, for all of the humanity, for them to one day wake up and trust God and set their life for God to respect and believe God and accept that he exists to accept that there is a God, that they should not turn away from this belief. People today, they criticize and they say, religion, religion, we must remove religion, get rid of it. They fight to try and get rid of religion. But they don't understand and comprehend that in the midst of so many religions, there is one, one true one, that in which God exists, in which God manifests himself, in which God changes and transforms the hearts of men and women, in which God gives peace and joy to men and women. That is the true religion. And mankind today, humanity, does not want to accept it. They want to fix the world in their own way, in their own way of thinking, because they think they know a lot. They think they're very smart and capable. But that will never be the case. They will always live in sadness and misery and pain because they are stubborn and rebellious and they do not believe and accept 
this powerful, true God, merciful, who in the beginning, yes, he chose one nation, but later on in his love and his mercy, he then gathered all of the other nations and said, come as well, you have the right to happiness. You also have the right to eternal salvation. Come and enjoy. Enjoy my works, my glory. Enjoy my blessings of the food and the nourishment I give. Enjoy it. Because you are deserts, wildernesses without water. But I am water. I am the one that supports human beings, supports the soul, the spirit. I am he who converts. So God, in his mercy, calls all people and unites those nations, the people of Israel and the Gentiles. Gentiles made up of people of many different nations. And so God wants to unite and even in that time, he has wanted to unite. And he's always united because his spirit is in the heart, willing for him. He will not observe to see if you are an Israelite or a Gentile, but he is observing a sincere heart, a prepared heart for the Lord. Not a heart that is stubborn, who wants to forget about the existence of God, and acknowledging God is so important in this time, and I think in all times. It is very important to acknowledge the existence of a supreme being, of a being that is invisible, but powerful, who gives peace. He does give peace. He does give joy. And so the Apostle Paul is doing great work. He did great work in speaking and teaching to these two different people, love and unity, faith, one faith, one Lord, one Spirit, one baptism among all people, just one because God is one for all. And here, in verse 25, the Apostle Paul is telling the Gentiles, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this, brothers and sisters. It's a mystery. Yes, it's a mystery. He says, for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so he is saying that he saw that there were more Gentiles who had converted to the true gospel of the Lord. There were more Gentiles than Jews who had converted in that time, who had converted to the Lord. But he also remembered the promises that the Lord had made. And the Apostle Paul said, there it is, it is written, God said, and so it needs to come to pass. But also the time will come, the day will come in which all will convert. All of that remnant that the Lord has elected will convert. Because here in verse 26, it reads, and according to Isaiah 59, 20, he says, the deliverer will come, well, so all Israel will be saved as, as it is written. The deliverer, or the Messiah, 
will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So here, the Lord was also making a promise for that remnant who would convert and that God was going to take away their sins. He was going to forgive them. He was going to give them salvation just as he was giving it to the Gentiles. Blessed is the name of the Lord. Verse 28, the Apostle Paul says, Concerning the gospel, the Israelites, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election that the Lord had made from the beginning, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the sake of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because those three men, God made those great promises to the same promise he made to the three. And this is why he says, now concerning the election that was made to the people of Israel, well, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. Because God made that promise to them, and God made an oath. He made an oath to Abraham. Verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That those gifts and the calling are irrevocable. So God is saying, he spoke to Abraham, he swore on himself. And he swore that he was going to bless him and he would be the father of many nations and his descendants would be like the stars in heaven and like the sand of the sea. That he was going to bless them forever. And then later he speaks to Isaiah and he also makes the same promise to Jacob. And so God, he says this is irrevocable because that was his word, that was his oath. And it's irrevocable, it cannot be taken away, removed. When it says the gifts, well, it's what God gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those great gifts, those great gifts and favors, because a gift, we know, is something that is given. Uh, and God gave Abraham many things. In the spiritual sense, well, he was a great man, the father of faith. And then later, physically, materially, well, these men, God also made them very rich, gave them many material blessings. And so what God did or what God does is irrevocable. When the Lord speaks, he can't go back on his word. That is fulfilled. It is fulfilled. And so the apostle taught. He taught these two people in that time. He was worried about his brethren, the Israelites, for them to understand and to comprehend that there was a blessing for them as well. There was a remnant. And so someone's question was, am I a part of the remnant? Well, we hope. Let us seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. We must seek him. And here the Apostle Paul united and told the Gentiles, you you need to look at this remnant with due respect because they, they were the first fruits. And now God, He also has grafted you onto that tree in the Lord. Be humble, be modest, and be united in the Lord. In verse 30, 
For as you were once disobedient to God, he tells the Gentiles, you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, the disobedience of the Israelites. Even so these, meaning the Israelites, also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they may also obtain mercy. So he was speaking of that remnant that one day they would also obtain God's mercy. For God, verse 32, for God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. Now, the Apostle Paul is amazed here in verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Now, this is true. This was very true. These words that the apostle expressed in reference to God's greatness, of God's wonders, of his majesty, the majesty of the Almighty. He says, all is a mystery. But the riches of God are deep. The wisdom and knowledge of God, they are unsearchable, are, are unsearchable in way past finding out. His ways truly are unsearchable because who can understand the mind of the Lord? Who has understood the mind of the Lord? Who was his counselor? Well, it's a mystery. It is our God. It is the existence of God, the Almighty. God lives. God exists. And people say, no. People say, we must destroy the Bible. We must destroy and remove all religion. But God, he says, his word will continue steadfast. He will continue steadfast till eternity. And the stubborn... Those who speak stubbornness will be destroyed. They will be removed and erased from the earth. The stubborn. Those who do not want to respect and cherish and value and much less honor God. So it says, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? No one. Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? No one. For of him... And through him, and to him, are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. Because God is powerful. He is the only Lord. He is wise. And merciful. And mighty. God exists. And we need to believe. We need to call upon his name and follow him, follow his ways, honor him, because it is the only way, it is the only solution for him to help us, for a nation to live in peace, for a nation to live still and to rest with God. Without him, nothing. We are nothing. Human beings are not capable. The capacity of man is not able to give a solution. And so we're not going to go into war with one another because that is all in vain. It is a waste of time. It is 
a waste of time and it harms us, it hurts us, and it makes the problem bigger. It makes it bigger. And you resolve nothing. God is the solution. He is our solution. And so I invite you to read the Bible, to believe in this mighty God, in this invisible God, in this God who spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We must follow him. Our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, who want, the one who intervenes. And through him, we go on to eternity. Through him, we go to God. We reach the Father because he is the only one who hears us, who sees us, who hears us. Let us honor him. So let us now pray. Let us pray and ask the Lord. You, ask the Lord for yourself. Ask him and tell him, and ask him for intelligence, for that wisdom to help you understand and comprehend the sermons. And do not be blinded. Do not be more deaf or blind. Tell God to open your eyes and your ears. If you want to be happy, do not be selfish or proud. Do not pretend to know more than you know, but rather tell God, I know nothing. I know nothing. Teach me. Teach me your ways. Tell the Lord that with your heart and you will see how God will hear you. And so, let us all now pray. And you, you have your petitions before the Lord. All of your petitions placed before the Lord's presence. For he will hear us all the same because he is powerful to hear every independent prayer. So do not worry. Do not say, oh no, the Lord will only listen to that person's prayer and won't listen to me. No, he hears everyone at the same time. And so we're going to pray and we're going to present our sadness, our sorrow, our illness, days of trouble, maybe lack of food, lack of money for what is necessary. Let us present all in the Lord's presence. Let us believe in him, O blessed Almighty God, Holy Father, eternal God, creator of the heavens and earth, our Lord, our God, our Father. We are not deceived, Lord, as many say. Many say that we are deceived, that we have been brainwashed to believe in you. But that is not true. That's not the case. We, we know, Lord, in who we have believed in. We know what we're doing. We have read the Bible, Lord. And we are reading the Bible and we realize how you bring every word to life, every phrase, every prayer, you bring it to life in our own lives. And you manifest yourself. And there are so many miracles, so many wonders, so many testimonies that people share of all of the experiences that they live with you and be it awake or in a dream or in a vision or in real life, they have experienced your presence. They've experienced your mighty hand working benefits and miracles and signs for them, giving them peace and joy and security and protection, protecting them, also blessing them materially and physically and financially, 
into how many you have resolved their financial troubles. You have given health. You have healed them of many different diseases. Lord, we know that there are many who have also died. Many have died due to this virus. And through this pandemic, many people have died and people who even congregated in our church have died. But we will not question, nor will we ask you, Lord, why. The only thing that we do is think, and you say that we must live a righteous life before your presence, that we must live well, that we must do things that are good and right, that we must walk uprightly. That is the only thing we know, so that in this way you may bless us, and you may give us life, eternal life. Or you shorten our days or you make them longer, extend them. Lord, it is all your will. Holy Father, we do not want, we do not want to be cut away from this tree, and it is you. Because you have grafted us on, and we do not want, even if there are storms and hurricanes, anything that wants to pass, we are grafted on and you will always carry us with you. You will sustain us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, and help us to please you and to do your will and remove all obstacles from our path, all difficulty, remove all distractions that disturb our spiritual lives that and destroy the envy of the enemy and the work of the evil one. Remove it and remove this envy of the enemy against us and against your church. And your mighty hand, may it be blessing and delivering and working miracles. As the Apostle Paul said, it is a mystery. It is a mystery, your existence, your word, your doctrine, it is all a mystery to us. The little that we are able to understand, it's very little, but with that, it is enough to enjoy and to feel happiness and gladness and peace in our souls and our being. Holy Father, extend your mighty hand. My Father, listen to the prayers and the pleas of people and teach them and remove all stubbornness. There's a lot who are rebellious and stubborn. They think that with yelling and ranting and with going out to the streets to, to scream and to hurt people, they will resolve problems. But with that, what they do is stir up your anger, your wrath, and your abandonment. And for you to turn away from them and for you to forget them, that is what they gain by doing those things. And this is why, Lord, we want, we want things to be peaceful and to proceed peacefully before others, and that we share with others 
that we should only cry out to you in prayer and to do your will and that we turn away from sin. That is what's important. Because with that, well, then you will give triumph and victory in everything, spiritually, material, materially, physically, in every field you will bless us. And not just those who have known your ways, but also those who have not known you yet, you will bless them too. Thank you, eternal God, my heavenly Father, in the glorious name of Jesus Christ, may you stretch out your healing hand. Your healing hand upon all of those who are ill in this moment. There are many brothers and sisters of the church that I know that are sick and in the hospital. May you have mercy and give them another opportunity in life so that they may do the work that you have entrusted them to do. Yes, my Father, ex extend your healing hand and also deliver those who have, who have had witchcraft and sorcery done against them. They are victims of those curses of the enemy. Lord, have mercy, my Father, in the glorious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Glory be to the Lord, the honor, the glory, all praise before our God now and evermore, my Lord. Glory to the King forevermore. We thank you, Father. We're going to sing to the Lord a new chorus. It's in the hymnal book. It is chorus 203, titled, I Have a Great Joy. But I ask the sister Alexandra to begin, please. Chorus. 203, it's in your hymnal books, it's a new chorus we're going to sing. I think it's a very beautiful chorus. Go ahead and start, because... Gran gozo tengo yo en mi corazón Gran gozo tengo yo en mi corazón Si Cristo me salvó, de gozo me llenó Gran gozo tengo yo en mi corazón, gran gozo tengo yo en mi corazón, gran gozo tengo yo en mi corazón. Si Cristo me salvó, de gozo me llenó, gran gozo tengo yo en mi corazón. Gran gozo tengo yo en mi corazón, gran gozo tengo yo en mi corazón. Si Cristo me salvó, de gozo me llenó, gran gozo tengo yo en mi corazón, gran gozo tengo yo en mi corazón. Gran gozo tengo yo en mi corazón, si Cristo me salvó, de gozo me llenó, gran gozo tengo yo en mi corazón. Well, it is a new chorus, so that we all may learn it. Now, of course, we do need the music in the background. When it does come out, then maybe maybe we have made some errors in some of the notes, but we sing to the Lord with all of our heart. And my dear brothers and sisters, and all of the people who have joined us on this day with this sermon, those who are newcomers, people joining for the first time, I wish you all with all of my heart that my Lord be with you, that he bless you, and that God may hear your, your pleas and your prayers, and that God be attentive to all of your petitions as well. And I also advise you to all 
that we read the Bible. Let us put aside all laziness. We must read the Bible and set aside time to pray. May God bless you. I love you with all my heart. Thank you very much. And to the children, all kisses. And to you, many hugs. Thank you. Until next time.